This message was presented at the GYC 2011 conference. For other resources like this, visit us online at gycweb.org. Father in heaven, on this last module day, we ask your blessing to be with us, Lord. And we just ask today that your spirit would come and it would transform our lives, that you would change us, you would shape us, you would mold us to be fitted and ready for heaven when Jesus comes. We ask, Lord, that you would do a work in our hearts today. We don't ask that you would... We're not concerned about the person next to us. We're not concerned about the person in front of us or behind us and the work that we think you should do in them. But today we're interested in the work that you want to do in our own hearts. And as you do that work in our hearts, then we'll pray for others and you'll do a work in their hearts. So, Lord, as we look at how we can have more of the Holy Spirit in our lives today... I just want to ask that your blessing be upon us. And this would not be something that we just enjoy and forget about when we go home, but we would apply these principles into our lives as we leave GYC and that it would help us become powerful, dedicated Christians that are filled with the Holy Spirit and who will give light to your, to, of your character all across the world until Jesus comes. This is our prayer we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, yesterday we talked about, I'm going to just do a real quick review of what we talked about yesterday. Um, Yesterday we talked about the glory of God revealed through three temples in Scripture. How many temples in Scripture? Three temples in Scripture. And the first one was in the Old Testament times. And what was the temple that God revealed His character through? The Old Testament sanctuary, the earthly sanctuary. And then we looked at a second one, which was in New Testament times, and who was that temple that Jesus was going to, or that God was going to use to fill His glory? What was it? The, uh, it was the life of Jesus and the heavenly sanctuary, but then God's going to have a third temple in the last days, in the end times, and what is that temple? It's God's people. We're going to see, I'm just going to review this for you, because some of you were not here yesterday. For those of you that were here, was it a little overwhelming? Maybe it was, so you're going to get a little bit of review. So let's look at these very, very quickly. The first one was what? The earthly sanctuary in Old Testament times. So the Bible tells us in the book of Exodus how Moses constructed the sanctuary. God said, let them make me a what? Sanctuary, Exodus 25, verse 8, that I may dwell among them. What is the ultimate desire in the heart of God for His people? What does He want to do with them? He wants to dwell with them. Who does He specifically want to dwell with? With you, right? He wants to dwell with you and I. So God gave Moses this instruction to build the earthly sanctuary because He wanted to dwell with His people. Now Moses did that exactly how God said. And where was the, what pattern did Moses use? Where did Moses get the original pattern? From, from Sinai, but where is the original sanctuary? It's in heaven, right? So the Bible tells us, if you have your Bibles, do you have your Bibles this morning? Do not leave your Bibles in your bags. Take out your Bibles, open them up, put them in your hand, and be prepared to wield the sword of the Spirit. Amen? Exodus chapter 40, and this was something we looked at yesterday, very, very powerful. Exodus 40, verse 9, God told Moses, once he constructed the sanctuary and set it up, he said, and you shall take the anointing oil and anoint the tabernacle and all that is in it, and you shall hallow it and its utensils, and it shall be what? It shall be holy. So God told Moses, anoint the 
the earthly sanctuary when it was completed, what is oil a symbol of in the Bible? The Holy Spirit. So you had, the, you had Moses and Aaron, the high priest, who was, a, not Moses was a high priest, but Aaron, and the, together they were anointing this earthly sanctuary. And then what happened? Verse um, 34. Then the cloud covered the tabernacle of the meeting, and the what? The glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. What filled the tabernacle? The glory of the Lord. And Moses was not able to enter the tabernacle because the cloud rested on it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. So when Moses completed it, he anointed it with oil, or the, a symbol of the Holy Spirit, and then the glory or the character... What is the glory of God? The character of God. The character of God filled that temple and they weren't even able to go into it. How many of you can say amen? Right? So when that happened, the glory of God was revealed to the Old Testament sanctuary when it was set up and inaugurated by the high priest, because it was a system on earth that would reveal what? God's character. Ultimately, what does God always want to do throughout the earth? He wants to reveal His character to the people of the earth. Yes or no? Alright, so did God do that in the Old Testament times? Yes or no? See, the Old Testament sanctuary was for all the world to be able to see the true character and glory of God. Can you say amen? And we're going to talk more about that in just a minute. Then we looked at the second one in New Testament times, which was who, everyone? <clears throat> it was Jesus, and also there was the heavenly sanctuary. But it's very interesting that we found in the Gospel of John, you find through the life of Jesus that He fulfills all the points of the sanctuary in His life. Isn't that a wonderful thought? It's very, very powerful. We looked at John chapter 1, and we saw that we saw that Jesus is the what? He's the Lamb. You have the altar of burnt offerings in the Old Testament sanctuary. They would bring the Lamb for sacrifice. And Jesus is what, everyone? He's the Lamb, yes? Then we saw that Jesus was baptized by, the, by, the, by water and the Holy Spirit. He went down to the Jordan and He was what? He was baptized. Jesus said in John 6.51, I am the bread of what? I'm the bread of life. He said, I'm the bread that came down from heaven. Then in John chapter 8, Jesus said, I am the light of the world, or the seven-branched candlestick. Then in John chapter 17, we see that Jesus was praying intimately for His disciples and all the believers that would follow after until the end of time. How many of you are thankful today that Jesus is in heaven praying for you? How many of you are thankful today that Jesus, in His dying moments right before He went to the cross, was not thinking of Himself, was not thinking selfish thoughts, but He was thinking about you today and how He could get you into heaven. Are you thankful for that this morning? Jesus, His sole desire, every heartbeat of Christ, is to do something that ensures that you will be in eternity in heaven with Him. Can you say amen? In heaven for eternity with Him. How many of you are thankful for Jesus today? Amen? He is our intercessor. So do you see how Jesus through the sanctuary, fulfills it in His own life. Yes? Then Jesus went to... So, we looked at the process of salvation. Psalm 77.13 says, Thy way, O God, is where? In the sanctuary. What way is in the sanctuary? His what? The way of salvation. Somebody was here yesterday. Thy way, O God, is in the sanctuary. The way of salvation. So now, let me ask you a question. What does the most holy place represent? What was in there? What piece of furniture? There was the Ark of the Covenant, right? 
And what was on top of the Ark of the Covenant? The mercy seat. And what was on top of the mercy seat? There was the, the literal presence of God, yes? And on each side of the Ark of the Covenant, there was a golden angel attached to the Ark, yes? And what did that, so what does that symbolize in the heavenly sanctuary? The throne of God, right? And those two golden angels represent two literal angels, the covering cherub, that stand on either side of the throne of God. Yes or no? Now, so you'd say to say that the most holy place represents who, everyone? I mean, where? I'm sorry. What does it represent? It represents heaven, right? So watch this. Remember, the plan of salvation is revealed in the sanctuary. So we have the most holy place, which is God's, the presence of God. Jesus left heaven, yes, and came where? He came to the earth where He did three things most of His life. He studied the Word of God, He prayed, and He let His light shine before men. We studied these things yesterday. So Christ's perfect life is displayed through the holy place, correct? Then, at the age of 30, where did He go? He went down to the Jordan River, and what happened there? He was baptized, yes? The labor represents baptism. And then he ministered for three and a half years on the earth. And after three and a half years, he went where? He went to the cross and died for our sins. How many of you are thankful for that today? Now, the Bible says that after that point, Jesus went back to heaven to be our what? To be our high priest. And he meets us where? At the cost, remember we said we cannot go into the most holy place on our own, right? What would happen if we went straight into the presence of God without God removing our sin? What would happen to us? We would instantly be what? Instantly be killed. Instantly be slain. Where's the furthest we can go in the process of getting to heaven? To the foot of the cross, right? And Jesus said, that's as far as you can go, but I'm going to leave heaven and I'm going to come to this earth and live the life that I want you to live. I'm going to be baptized and I'm going to meet you at the cross. Amen? I'm going to meet you there and then I'm going to take you back to heaven with me. So Jesus, when we come to the cross, we confess our sins, we're baptized, and then we begin the Christian life. And through the process of studying the Bible, prayer, and allowing the Holy Spirit to work in our lives, we, become, we, we go through the process called sanctification, And that's the work of how long? It's the work of a lifetime. And then that, as we do that, it prepares us to once again live in the presence of God. Can you say amen? The plan of salvation is revealed where, everyone? In the sanctuary. Now, real quickly, how the Holy Spirit led in Jesus' life. When Jesus came, the Holy Spirit came to Mary and impregnated her with Jesus. Again, it's just a real quick review. Uh, kind of breaking it down a little bit more for you. Now, when Jesus went back to heaven to be our high priest, you find something very interesting. Before he dies, he tells in John 17, he says, Father, I've glorified your name on the earth. So, what does it mean? What is the glory of God? It's his character. Jesus said, I've finished the work that you've given me to do. What was the work that he had to do? to reveal the character of God to those on the earth, yes? Now, remember, in the earthly sanctuary, they anointed all the furniture in the the sanctuary, and then what happened in the the sanctuary? 
the earth, it was filled with his what? Glory, okay? Jesus glorified God's name on the earth, and then he went, when he went back to heaven as our high priest, what did he do in the heavenly sanctuary? He anointed, he actually anointed the furniture in the heavenly sanctuary just like the high priest did on the earth. Everything that was done in the earthly sanctuary was a copy of what would be done where? In the heavenly sanctuary, yes? So when Jesus went back, he anointed that most holy place, or the, the, the whole sanctuary. And what happened as a result? The result was what? Pentecost. Just like in the earthly sanctuary, when they anointed it, the glory of God filled the temple. So when Jesus anointed the heavenly sanctuary, the spirit of the glory, the character of God was poured out and on Pentecost, and then the character of God was revealed through the lives of the disciples on earth. Yes? In the Old Testament sanctuary, the character of God was revealed through the system of the sanctuary. New Testament, Jesus fulfills the sanctuary in His life. He goes to heaven, He anoints the heavenly sanctuary, and then the Spirit is poured out, and all the earth sees the glory of God through the apostles on the day of Pentecost. Amen? Powerful stuff. But then there was a third temple, yes? And that third temple is would take place when? In the end times. 1 Corinthians 3, 16, 17. I'm not going to read it because I read it yesterday. We need to move along. But it tells us basically that we, you and I, are the temple of the what? The Holy Spirit. The living God. Yes? That the Holy Spirit dwells where? In us. He promises to send to us today the same Holy Spirit that He sent when? At Pentecost. The Bible says in Ephesians 3, 16-18 that, that Christ dwells in us through the Holy Spirit. We saw from Desire of Ages that Jesus, because He's now human, He cannot be everywhere at once, right? And so we saw that because of the Holy Spirit, Jesus could actually be closer to us through the Spirit than if He was beside us personally. Jesus is now a man. He can't be everywhere at once. So when Jesus walked on the earth, He told the disciples, look, I'm going away, but I'm going to send what? I'm going to send the Comforter. I'm going to send the Spirit to help you. And the disciples thought that that was a loss, but actually it was a gain, because on the earth, they walked with Jesus beside them, yes? But when He sent the Spirit, Christ could now live not just beside them, but inside them, amen? Through the, through, by faith, because of the Holy Spirit. She says, by the Spirit, the Savior would be accessible to all. In this sense, He would be nearer to them than if He had not ascended on high. Can you say amen to that today? Christ can be so close to us because of the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of us. Now, once again, this is just a review. Jesus left heaven. He came to the earth. He was baptized. And then He went to the cross. Now, and then He went back to heaven to be our high priest and He sends us the Spirit today. Now, what else does Jesus do? He, once he, he comes to the cross, He came to get us to take us back and prepare us for where? For heaven, right? And so, the Holy Spirit draws us to the cross to confess our sins, accept Him as Savior, and begin our relationship with Him, correct? This is now the Christian life. Jesus came from heaven, and we are going to heaven, right? He came from heaven to the cross. We're going from the cross back to heaven, right? And so, we come to Jesus. What is the work of the Holy Spirit? He convicts us of sin, judgment, and 
righteousness and judgment to come, and He draws us to the cross where we can confess our sins and accept Jesus as our Savior. Now, is that something that should just happen one time, yes or no? Absolutely not. When it does happen the first time, then we prepare for what? Water baptism, yes? But after we're baptized by water, I have to come back to Jesus again the next day. What's the secret to living in the Spirit? What's the secret to being baptized by the Holy Spirit? I have to come back to where I started every single day. And the first time I do it, the first time I accept Christ, I'm baptized by water. But when I do that every other day after, I come to Jesus to confess my sins, and then He will baptize me with the Spirit. Amen? Does that make sense? We're baptized by water the first time, but after that we're baptized by the Spirit. Once I do that, then I enter into the Christian life. And Jesus has justified me here, but then He wants to sanctify me through where? Through the holy place, yes? There's three elements that work, God uses to work in us in the process of sanctification. Bible study, which is the bread. Prayer, which is the altar. And seeking the Holy Spirit, which is the what? The seven-branch candlestick. Now watch this. As we do that, as that takes place in my life, eventually Jesus becomes fully enthroned on the heart, yes? Through the process of sanctification. You see, I said this yesterday, but I don't want to be more like Jesus. Does that sound crazy? How many of you think you might get up and walk out if I say that too much? I don't want to be more like Jesus. I want to be just like Jesus. Amen? How many of you want to be just like Jesus? How do we become just like Jesus? We become just like Jesus by becoming more like Jesus. Amen? And how do we become more like Jesus? We become more like Jesus today than we were yesterday. And tomorrow we'll become more like Jesus then than we were today. And in every day we become more and more like Jesus until we become how? Just like Jesus. Amen? And how do we become more like Jesus? The process takes place here. Yes? How can we expect to be more like Jesus if we're not studying His Word? If we're not on our knees in prayer? If we're not seeking to let our light shine? If we're not seeking the Holy Spirit, right? But as we do that through our life, eventually we will become just like Jesus and Christ will be fully enthroned on our hearts. Amen? Now watch this. When this happens, the glory of God will fill the third temple on the earth. And who is the third temple, friends? We are the third temple and His people will shine throughout the world and reveal His character, yes? So watch this, Revelation 18. After these things, I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was illuminated with His what? With His glory. What's His glory? His character, yes? Now watch. Just as Jesus anointed the heavenly sanctuary and the Holy Spirit was poured out at Pentecost, so in the last days when God's people have Christ fully enthroned on their hearts, then He will pour out, He will anoint the third temple, just like the earthly sanctuary was anointed, just like the heavenly sanctuary was anointed. Jesus, who was also the, the second temple on the earth, He fulfilled His life to the sanctuary. Was He not anointed also by Mary? He was anointed with oil, wasn't He? Right? Then the third temple will also be anointed. Who's the third temple on earth? The final temple. It's you and I. How does He anoint the third temple on the earth in the last days? Through the latter rain 
on the Holy Spirit through the latter rain. Can you say amen? He's going to anoint us when Christ is fully enthroned on the heart and His glory will be revealed to all the world once again. Amen? Praise God for that, friends. So that's a review of what we covered yesterday. We covered it much more in depth yesterday, but that's a review. Now, the question we have to ask is this. How can I have more of the Holy Spirit in my life, right? Isn't that, the, isn't that why we're here at GYC? We want to know how can I have more of the Holy Spirit and how can I have a lasting experience with God that will not fade once I leave GYC? How many of you want to know the answer to that question today? Both of those questions. We're going to answer that through the sanctuary. We're going to just build upon what we covered yesterday in our subject. So remember, God is where? God is there, and we are where? We are, we are beginning here. Ultimately, where is it that we want to be? We want to be standing in God's presence, yes? Now, in a sense, yes, we stand in His presence all the time, but you understand the concept that we're building here, all right? So, what we're going to do, let me just back up, we're going to look at the process of the sanctuary, and we're going to get very, very practical. And we're going to see, you know, I, I gave you the theory yesterday, but what's the practical application for it? We're going to look at very practical things at each step that we can do to uh, allow God to pour out His Spirit on us and complete the work of sanctification. So are you ready, yes or no? All right. Now, when you came to the sanctuary, there was a what? There was a door, right? How many of you like doors? Uh, if you don't have a door, if we didn't, there wasn't a door into the sanctuary, would we all be in trouble? We'd all be in trouble because that would mean there was no way to into the presence of God, right? Jesus said, I am the what? I am the door. There's only one way into the sanctuary. There's only one way to salvation, yes? And that way is who? That way is through Jesus. He says, I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find what? Pastor. So there was a gate or a door into the sanctuary, correct? Now, what's the beginning step of coming to Jesus. What do I have to do? I have to go through the door. How do I go through the door? Jesus said, Behold, I stand at the door and what? I knock. If any man opens the door, I will enter in and I will dine with him and fellowship with him, etc. Yes? So Jesus wants to enter the door of our what? Of our hearts. And the only way we, He can do that is if we open the door and we choose to go, allow Him to come in and then we choose to go through it. That's simply done by what, everyone? A choice. A choice, right? Now, it's very interesting. Let's get practical here. Psalm 100, verse 4. Speaking about going through the gate of the sanctuary in our own personal life. What do I do to have more of the Holy Spirit? Psalm 100, verse 4. The Bible says, are you there? You did turn there, right? You're not just waiting for me to read it. You need to read it for yourselves, right? Psalm 100 verse 4 says, Enter into His gates with what? Thanksgiving. And into His courts with praise. Be thankful to Him and bless His what? And bless His name. So if I'm going, seeking to go to the presence of God through the sanctuary, the first step is to come through the door. And as I go through the door seeking to go into God's presence, what do I need to do? How do I need to enter? With what? Praise and thanksgiving, right? So in my experience with God, 
what should I do? My prayer time with God and my fellowship, my devotion time with God, what's something that I should be doing? Thanksgiving and what? Praise. So I always ask myself the question when I'm praying, what do I have to be what? Thankful for. You know, I've had, sometimes we've had bad experiences, right? In the hotel we're staying, nothing against the hotel or the conference, but like, I bought the internet for $9.95 and it, and it just, it works like less than a third of the times. Anyone have that experience? I'm not going to say which hotel. Did I already say which hotel? I hope I didn't, but anyway. And so I found out that I can log into the lobby internet for free. And I ended up paying for an internet that, I don't work, that doesn't work, and I could get free internet that does work, right? Then my hot water was broken. They came up three times before they fixed it. It was taking cold showers. And then my toilet was broken. And then the, the room was dirty when I got there. There were these little plastic BB pellets laying all over the floor. And there was just like problem after problem. And I just, I was found myself complaining, and I had to stop, and I say, you know what? I'm at GYC. I'm just thankful to be here, amen? And so it, it was all about my attitude, right? Sometimes we have problems in life, and we go through these difficult situations, but can we always find something to be thankful for, yes or no? So in my prayer time, I ask God, God, what do I have to be thankful for? And I let the Holy Spirit speak to my heart, and I make a list of things. How many of you are alive? Is that something to be thankful for? Are you breathing today? Should you be thankful for that? Absolutely. So I ask God that question. Another question. Should your thankfulness be known only when things are going well for you? Yes or no? Some of the most powerful times I have sensed God's presence is when I have gone to Him with an attitude of thankfulness when it seemed like everything in my life was a complete disaster. Did you know that? When I was sick with cancer, I was laying in the hospital two years ago almost dead in ICU, and I realized I was complaining and whining and asking God, why is this happening to me? And I realized that if my attitude changed, my peace would change. My peace would come return to me. And so I began thanking God for all the things. Thank you for good nurses. Thank you for my wife being here. All these different things. And it, was, it wasn't very long after that that God, my entire demeanor changed. And I began rejoicing even though I was dying on my deathbed. Thankfully, God healed me. Amen? So, make a list of things that you should be thankful for. So, what about, what's the difference between thanksgiving and praise? Is there a difference? What is it? Yes. All right. Thankfulness, just so you can hear, thankfulness is thanking Him for what He's done. Praise is just giving Him honor and glory for who He is, right? So, what are some practical ways we can praise God? What about singing? How many of you like to sing? You know, I like to sing, but there's a big problem with that. It's just that most of the time other people don't like to hear me sing. And uh, my wife loves to sing. She's a beautiful singer, but I'm not the best singer, okay? And so what I often do is I'll find, I'll, I have a hymnal, a Seventh-day Adventist hymnal, and in my personal devotion time I'll find a place in the house where I know no one can hear me, and I sing very low, so low that no one else can hear me. You know, people sometimes ask me, they say, can you play any instruments? And I say, yeah, the radio. I know how to turn it on, I know how to turn it up, right? And uh, so, but singing, one of my goals was that I would sing all the way through the Adventist hymnal, and it would take me, I don't know how long, but there's like six or seven hundred songs, and there's a lot of songs there that I don't even know the hymn, the, the tune to. But guess what I would do? I would make it up. 
Amen? Make up a tune. And my wife sometimes would overhear and she'd be like, what in the world are you singing in there? I was like, it's a song, but I don't know the tune, so I made up my own tune, right? How about keeping a prayer journal? We'll talk more about that. How about reading psalms of praise? Are there a lot of psalms of praise in the Bible? Yes or no? Absolutely. And so what I often do is I'll turn to the psalms and I'll just read those out loud to God. Sometimes I'll write my own psalm, right? How many of you like to write? Some of you like to write. Write your own psalm and read it to God. Write a letter to God and uh, just, just thank Him and praise Him for all that He's done in your life and for who He is. And uh, some people say, well, I have a difficulty with words, so write it down. Do, if, you, if you're good with words, say it. If you're bad with words, write a letter to God. But praise God for who He is during that time period. All right, so that's going through the gate. How many of you can do that in your prayer time? You think you could do that? Is that some practical tips for you? All right. Then the second one is the altar of burnt offerings, right? And we said that once we come to Jesus the first time, do we have to come to Him again and again? Yes or no? Absolutely. It's not enough to come once, but we have to come how often? Every day. Now at the altar of burnt offering, what was it that they were doing when they brought the lamb? What did they do? They confessed their sin, and then they did what? And then they killed the lamb. And the lamb was a symbol of who? Jesus. And that sacrifice of the lamb was a symbol of what? Jesus' death on the cross. Yes? Alright, so the altar represented the cross. So, what do I do? The Bible says we must be crucified with Christ every single day. Amen? Now, remember what she says here. The youth have not realized that freedom and light can be retained only, I'm just going to read the yellow, with a continual reliance upon the merits of the blood of who? Christ. What kind of reliance? A continual. That means daily. Coming back to the cross every single day. If you want to have the Holy Spirit in your life, if you want to have an experience with God that will not fade, you need to come back to Christ how often? Every day. Make it your top priority. Let nothing stand in your way. Listen, the main problem why we struggle in the Christian life is because we are simply not coming to Christ every day. You understand that? Probably 98% of all, all spiritual problems is because we're not coming back to Jesus. We've got to come back to Him and again and again. So how does this part of the prayer or this part of the experience affect my life personally and practically? Well, the Bible, we we're coming to the cross to ask forgiveness for what? For our sins. Well, the question is, what is sin? The Bible tells us in 1 John 3, 4, sin is what? Transgression of the law. Transgression of the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments are divided into two categories. One through four is our love to who? Our love to God. The second six are, is our love to who? Is our love to man or to each other. So in the first four commandments, I get myself a piece of paper and I read through the Ten Commandments. And then I ask myself the question, God, how have I sinned against who? Against you. <clears throat> and then what do I do? What do you think I do after I ask God that question? I just, do I just keep talking? And say, hey God, what about this? What about that? What do I do? I get quiet. And I what? I listen in my heart. Yes? And do you think that God would reveal that to me if I ask Him that question with complete sincerity, yes or no? Absolutely, He'll, he'll 
He'll answer that question. Now, God, how have I sinned against you? And then the last six is how have I sinned against others, right? My love to man. I ask God my, that, those two questions in my prayer time, in my, fel- in my time that I'm spending with Him. Do you think that God would hear that prayer? Absolutely. Absolutely. Then once He begins to reveal to me those things in my life, guess what I do? I write them down on a piece of paper because those are all the sins that I've committed in the last day or the last week or whatever. Yes? Then, what do I do? Now, that's bad news, isn't it? Because the Bible says the penalty for sin is what? Death. But Jesus wants to give me what? He wants to give me life. So, I then claim a promise. 1 John 1.9. Let's read it together from the screen. Can you read it with me? If we can what? Confess our sins... He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We started at about half steam and then it kind of faded to about four people towards the end. Let's read it one more time with with vigor, okay? If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so, once Jesus... I claim that promise to say, Jesus, here are my sins. I'm bringing them to You. I'm asking You to forgive me. Will He do it, yes or no? He promised that He would. So what do you think that I do with that piece of paper once I've confessed my sins? I burn it, or I tear it up, or I I wad it up and throw it in the garbage or something, right? I get rid of it because now Jesus has forgiven me. Amen? And God has spoken to my heart. So I have completed what I need to complete at the cross. I have emp- God has emptied me of what? Of sin. Now, once He empties me of sin, what's He want to do? He wants to fill me with what? He wants to fill me with the Holy Spirit. Remember I said, when we come to Christ the first time, then we go at the, at the altar, then we go to the laver to be baptized by what? Or It's a symbol of baptism by water. But once I'm baptized by water, I come back to Jesus again the next day, and and every day after that, He wants to baptize me not with water, but with what? But with the Holy Spirit, right? So this is a symbol of the labor. So what do I do here? I am I or what is this reminding me of? I'm asking Jesus to let me drink more deeply of Him in my prayer time. I'm asking Him to give me the water of life. I'm asking Him to baptize me with the Holy Spirit. There's a little typo there. And Ephesians five six tells us that we are washed by the water of the Word. So I'm also claiming the promises of God. I'm asking Him to wash away my filthy, faulty character by the power of His Word. Yes? And if I do that every single day, friends, listen, don't expect to have an experience with God if you're not willing to make the effort. You understand that? Expect your life to be empty. Expect you to feel guilt all the time. Expect your, your experience to be weak. Expect yourself to fall into sin again and again if you're not willing to put in the effort to follow Jesus and do what He calls you to do. You realize that? Expect it. If you're not spending time in His Word, if you're not spending time in prayer, expect that your spiritual experience will be dull, weak, and just blah. Once I do that, then look what's in the holy place. What's there? There's three... Uh, pieces. There's the table of showbread. What does that represent? The Word of God. We studied that yesterday. Um, 
And so, can I expect to Christ to fully do His work in me if I'm not studying the Bible? Yes or no? Not at all. I have to study the Bible. Now listen, can I preach to you for just a minute? There are so many young people today... How many of you love Audioverse? You like Audioverse? You ever download a sermon from Audioverse? Isn't Audioverse a wonderful ministry? I love Audioverse. I want you to know that. What did I just say? I love what? I love Audioverse. And I'm not picking on Audioverse when I say this, okay? I'm picking on you. But a devotional experience, your devotional life, does not consist of downloading sermons from Audioverse. Do you understand that? Your devotional experience does not consist of listening to some popular speaker or to hear what you know, Doug Batchelor or David Ashrick or Stephen Bohr or Ira Myers says about the Bible. You understand that? That is not the way that you connect with Christ personally. You realize that? Because you're feeding off of their meal in the Word, right? What if we went to lunch and they said to you, you scanned your ticket, and they say, you know, um, we can't allow you to eat your own plate, but you have to borrow from Brother Wes, Pastor Wes. And you came over to my table, and I was sitting there, I had this meal of food, and it was about three-quarters of the way eaten, and you could see like my slobber all over the fork, and you know, there's all this stuff on my plate, and, it's, and everything's been eaten off of. You know, my bread has got these bite marks in it, and, and all this stuff. How many of you would enjoy eating that meal? Would you like that? You want to come and sit at my table for lunch today? You wouldn't eat after me physically. Why would you eat after somebody else spiritually? You've got to have your own experience in God's Word. You realize this. You've got to spend your own time studying the Bible. You, and it's not wrong to download sermons. Do it. I encourage you. But Audioverse is intended to supplement your own experience, right? It's, ex- it's intended to do that. So do not feast off of someone else's table. Have your own meal with God. Amen? God wants to have an experience with you. So how do I do this? How do I do this? Very simply, I told you yesterday that I spent a lot of time when I first became a Christian studying the Bible, about eight to ten hours a day for the first year and a half of my Christian experience because I was in college, I had a lot of time. The more I studied, the more I learned. It's like working out. Some of you say, well, I read the Bible and I don't get anything out of it. How many of you have ever worked out before? When you work out, are you going to throw up 300 pounds your first try? Yes or no? Not at all. You're going to be lucky to get the bar up, right? You know, when I was working, when I was playing football, I ultimately got to where I was bench pressing about 450 pounds. You think I got there overnight? Not at all. I had to start, and I was bench pressing like 115 pounds. And then every week I would add a little bit, right? It's kind of like that with studying the Bible. The more you do it, the easier it becomes and the more you begin to see. So what I want to do is give you, some, real quickly, some very practical tips on how to study the Bible. Okay? All right. First thing is, always what before you read the Bible? Always pray. Ask God to give you wisdom to learn at least one thing. Don't open the Bible without prayer. Okay? Always ask. That goes without saying. Claim the promises of God's Word. Um, keep a journal with a list of promises. As you read the Bible, write down promises that you see in the Word that you want God to fulfill in you. Okay? Then study the conditions of the promise and ask God to help you fulfill the conditions. Right? You know, for instance, in order to receive forgiveness of sin, we have to do what first? 
We have to, we just read it, 1 John 1.9. If we confess our sins, there you go, He was unfaithful and just to forgive them. So study the conditions and then record the promises as God faithfully does them in your life. Look for promises. In my Bible, what I've done with many books, I haven't done it with all the books, but I go through and I have different categories that I highlight. In yellow, I highlight all the promises of God. In green, I highlight all the commandments of God and then various other things that I have. So you can do the same thing in your own Bible, all right? The Bible says in Acts 17, these, those in Thessalonica, they received the word with all readiness and searched the Scriptures how often, friends? Daily, the Bible says. So I want to give you some very practical tips here. I'm going to move through these pretty quickly. But try to read the Bible in one year. If you read four chapters a day in the Bible, you can read the Bible in one year. Did you know that? Four chapters a day. It'll take you roughly 15, 20 minutes to read four chapters a day if you're an average reader. If you read the... I met a lady once. She was like in her 70s, and she told me that she had read the Bible 61 times in her life. And every time she read it, she learned something new. Do you ever know everything? Never, 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 never. If you can't read four chapters, read at least one chapter a day. At least one chapter. Amen? One chapter will take you five or ten minutes, okay? Carry a small Bible with you that you can read a, te- uh, a text in, the, in an extra moment. If you're waiting at the doctor or you're waiting for your next class or something, you can read a chapter in five minutes. Just take a little pocket Bible with you. Keep it in your purse. Write down Bible texts, those Bible promises on cards, and take them with you through the day. You know, when you're sitting at a red light, whip out that card and read that text. You know, when you're walking to class, you know, don't walk into a tree or something, but whip out that text and read that text. And just let those spiritual nuggets get in your mind all through the day, okay? And you'll be surprised just in the extra moments that you normally waste. Within a week, you could probably memorize five or ten Bible texts, right? It's beautiful. You can do it anytime. Memorize as many as you can in a week, but set a realistic goal for yourself. So in your extra time, when you're just waiting in line at Walmart or something, pull out those texts and read them. And as you do that, the Word of God will become ingrained in you. As you read the Bible, look for a theme, like God's commandments, His love, salvation, or something. And write down, make a list of all the texts on the love of God, on the Sabbath, on salvation, on you know, the commandments or obedience or whatever you find. Pick a theme and read through a book and find all the texts you can find on that theme. Isn't that easy to do? It's very easy to do. I'm giving you different ideas. I'm not saying... Now, listen to me carefully. Are you listening? I'm, not, I'm going to give you several things, but I'm not saying you should do all these things, okay? I don't want to overwhelm you. I'm giving you several ideas, and you can choose one and do that for a month, and then choose another one and do it for a month. Does that make sense? But I'm giving you several so that you'll have a whole arsenal of stuff. Look for verses that have the same word. In other words... What I do sometimes is I'll read a chapter and I'll read it like four or five times and I'll try to find links within the chapter or if I read several chapters, I'll try to find links in those. Does that make sense? And when you do that, you can start pulling verses together. You can start pulling chapters together and it's very, very powerful. As you read, keep a notebook with you and if you read just one chapter a day, write down three things that really stood out to you about God or His love or His character. What happens if you read it and you don't find three things? 
What do you do? Close the Bible and quit? What do you do? Read it again. Read the chapter again or read another chapter. And what, what is amazing is after you do for a month, if you, if you write down three things, if you read one chapter and write down three things, that will take you ten minutes in the morning. I encourage you to spend as much time as possible. But even if it's ten minutes, in a month, 30 days in a month times three things a day, how many things is that? Ninety things. Nine times ten months is 900 plus two more months is, you know, like almost a thousand new things you've learned from the Bible in one year. Amen? And it takes you ten minutes a day. Can you do it? Yes or no? Absolutely you can do it. Don't give me no excuses. All right. So, suggestions for a specific Bible study, okay? Those are some ideas. Let me give you some more specifics. Choose a chapter, passage, or story from the Bible to study. Ask, then ask questions about that chapter. Don't just read it and say, well, I didn't get anything out of it. Start asking questions. You've got to put a little bit of effort into it. If you want to get anything out of life, do you have to put an effort? Yes. Why do you think that you can just look at a closed Bible and God's going to give you some vision or revelation? It ain't going to happen. You've got to get in it, and you've got to do some work. Okay? All right. So what kind of questions? Well, how many of you know the five W's and H, right? Who, what, when, where, why, and how. Read a chapter and ask those questions and answer them from the passage. Will that be useful, yes or no? Of course it will. Why is God doing this? You know, you know what is happening? Who is involved? How can I learn from this? Ask those kind of questions. Now, I'm going to give you some other questions that you can ask from a passage. Um, don't get overwhelmed. I'm not saying you have to ask all these questions. What am I giving you? Suggestions. I'm giving you examples, okay? So I read a passage. I ask the question, what are the parallels I can make between this and my life? Look for the solution to the problem in your life within that story or passage, okay? Secondly, what does this passage tell me about God's love and His purpose for my life, right? Wouldn't that be a great question to ask? What does this passage tell me about my relationship with God? Maybe it's weak. Maybe it's strong. Maybe it needs to change. Number four, is there an example in this story for me to follow? In other words, maybe somebody did something in the story, there's something done in the chapter that you should also do, right? Ask that question. Oops, I didn't put a, a little motion on that one. Is there a sin I find in my own life from reading this passage that I confess? You know, maybe you're reading the passage about David and Bathsheba, heaven forbid, right? And you're reading that passage and you read about David's sin with Bathsheba and you realize that you're doing that in your own life. And maybe it's not physical, maybe it's in the heart. Yeah? You're lusting in the heart. Is there a sin I find in my own life that I should confess? Is there something God is calling me to stop doing in my life through this passage? Is there something God wants me to do or change? in my life from this passage? Is there a promise that I can claim for my own life? What are the conditions of the promise? How has God brought me closer to Him through this passage? Is there something I should, someone I should forgive after reading this? Is there something new I can thank God for? And is there something God wants me to do for Him or for someone else? You think if you ask at least some of those questions from a passage, God would begin re- bringing it out to you? Absolutely. Absolutely. So ask questions. We talked about that. Experience the Word. Put yourself in the story. This kind of goes along with this. Put yourself in the story. Okay? 
read the Gospels or some other story. And what I often do is I'll read the passage, I'll read the story from one person's point of view, maybe the point of view of Jesus. You know, Jesus goes into a town, He has His disciples, there's a blind man, He heals the blind man, everyone rejoices, and etc., etc., right? So I read that story and I say, what was Jesus thinking as He goes into the town? What was Jesus, when He saw the man, what was He thinking? When He saw the crowds, what was He thinking? When He looked at the, the faces, the expressions of the disciples, what was He thinking? Then I'll reread the story again from the perspective of Peter or, or one of the disciples. Then I'll read the story a third time from the perspective of the blind man. What must he have felt when he first saw Jesus, right? Put yourself in the story and it becomes very, very powerful. Instead of saying, they went to the town, say, we went to the town, right? Jesus took his disciples, Jesus took us and we went together, right? Re you know, put those words in there as if you were there. It becomes very, very powerful. All right. Share it. Write a letter to God in response to what you learn. Share it. Pray each day that God will lead you to someone you can share with. And remember your purpose. There's power in the Word of God. Can you say amen? I'm going to jump past this for time. There are two guys that I met in Ukraine. And he's, his name is Yuri and Vanya. And these two guys are brothers. And when they were young, when they were young men as kids, they came home one day from school and they actually found their father in the room with their mother and another man. Apparently she had been, you know, fooling around with this man. And right as they walked into the room, he saw their father behead the man. And then he turned and beheaded the mother. Right in front of them, they saw their mother beheaded by their father right in the same room together. These guys grew up and they were going to the church and the guy on the right was a powerful Bible. He won something like over 300 people to Christ in like five years. And this guy was given Bible studies. But this story of their past haunted them and they began to just fall away from God and fall away from the church. And they began drinking alcohol for over 10 years. There was not one single day that went by that they were not drinking alcohol. Every day for over 10 years. These guys would come to my seminar. Just They came in the spring and then they came again in the fall. And they would come in drunk and they would just start yelling out my name. <laughs> and we had to have our guys like remove them so they wouldn't. everyone was distracted, you know. And they always wanted to talk to me and, this, and the other guy that was my other American friend. But something happened in these guys' life. We told them, you can sit in the meetings if you're quiet and listen. And they came in and they sat and they listened. And they listened to the Word of God night after night. And something began to change in their life. For the first time in over ten years, they came to the meetings and they hadn't been drinking that day. They were clean. Look at how clean they are now. They cleaned themselves up. They took baths. They combed their hair. They put on nice clothes. And day after day, God continued to give them victory. And at the end of the meetings, these guys are now preparing to be rebaptized into the church. Why? Because of the power in the Word of God, friends. The Word of God can help you overcome your past. The Word of God can help you overcome anything in your life. And it can do powerful things in the life. 
All right, intercession. I'm going to slip past some of this because we have to go. We have to move. But intercessory prayer, basically, what, what is it that you need to know about intercessory prayer? You need to do it, right? You need to pray. There was the, the, the altar of incense. Altar of, uh, yeah, altar of incense. So what does intercessory prayer do? It gives us a love for souls. It strengthens our walk with God. It helps us know how we can have the Holy Spirit in touch with other people's lives and in our own life, right? In our own life. All right, let me move past this. I'll give you guys these notes. You can have these. So when I pray, that's the second part in, that, in, that, in the sanctuary, in the holy place, what should I pray for? For family members, for church leaders and church family, those that I'm witnessing to, witnessing to, those that have special needs, those who have personal needs, and my own needs as well, right? These are the kind of things that we should pray for. I have a list that I have on my computer in an Excel spreadsheet. And I make a list of categories. I have family, I have friends, I have, I have people that I'm witnessing to, I have all the, my co-workers and all these different lists, and I have them organized. And any time I need to add something, I just type it in and reprint it, right? Have you ever tried to make a prayer list on some like, little sticky note? You know, and you've got stuff written upside down and sideways. Be organized in your prayer life, right? Be organized, make a list, and make it easily accessible and easily updated, right? Let me tell you a story real quickly about intercessory prayer. A uh, very, very powerful story. Here was a lady in Ukraine, and she had actually... How many of you know Kevin Sears? You know Kevin Sears? Very good friend of mine. Kevin had preached a series in Ukraine that this lady came to, okay? And on the night that they talked about the true church, this lady had to leave town, and she gave them her number to contact her but when they went back to try to call her, the number had been erased from the phone. Several months went by. This lady was so ready to follow Jesus and be a part of His church. She believed the Sabbath. She wanted, to be a, she wanted to follow Jesus and all these things. Several months went by, and it was time for me to, to come in and have another evangelistic meeting. We had several students in our AFCO class in Ukraine, and we told them that there was this lady. We needed to pray that God would somehow bring her to the meetings, okay? The day before the meetings began, students had been praying for months that God would somehow bring this lady to the meetings. And the day before, this, this was a town of 350,000 people, right? What are the odds of finding someone in a town that size randomly, right? That day before the meeting, she was in her apartment and she felt God impressing her to go for a walk. After the students have been praying for her, she said, I don't want to go for a walk. I want to go in and, and, and take a nap in my bed. So she got up and she went in and she laid down. And God just kept hammering her heart. Get up and go out and uh, go for a walk. So she got up, she went out. And as she was walking down the street, one of our students was on his way to a university to give out handbills to kids getting out of class for the meetings. They were walking and they walked right past each other and they both just stopped. And they, at the same time, they turned around, they looked at each other, and he looked at her, and he just gave her a handbill. And she looked at it and recognized it was a similar thing from what she had seen before. And she said, do you know Kevin? And he said, yes. She said, give him my number. We called her, she came to the meetings, and she gave her life to Jesus in baptism. Amen? Intercessory prayer is powerful when you begin to pray for other people. So pray, pray, pray. Remember what we said yesterday 
about prayer. When we pray, the Holy Spirit carries our prayers where? Up to heaven, and Jesus is already there interceding in heaven for us. And the Holy Spirit mixes our prayers with His, and they ascend before the throne of God. Amen? How many of you want to just pray today? And to know that your prayers are going before the throne room of the God of the universe through the power of the Holy Spirit and mixing with the prayers of Christ. That's what Romans 8, 26-28 says. We covered that yesterday. I want to encourage you, read the book, chapter, uh, chapter 11 of Steps of Christ, The Privilege of Prayer. Very, very powerful. The third part in the, in the holy place is the seven-branch candlestick. And what does it represent? Jesus, the light of the world, but also the Holy Spirit, yes? What does Jesus say we should do in our spiritual life? We should what? We should plead for the Holy Spirit. He says, if you'll simply what? Ask. I'm more willing to give it to you than a parent is willing to give food to their kids. God wants us to have the Holy Spirit. He wants us to be victorious. He wants the Spirit to change our lives, but we've got to ask for it. So let me ask you a question today. In your own time, in your own walk with God, how much time do you honestly spend each day pleading and asking God to give you the Holy Spirit? How much time do you spend? You know, there was a time period for years when I didn't even ask for the Holy Spirit. Did you know that? And I, my life was drowning. And I came across that text, Matthew 7, 7. Jesus said, you've got to ask for it. I just assumed that God was going to give it to me. But in your prayer time, plead with God to give you the Spirit. And will He do it? He will do it, friends. He will do it. And secondly, firstly, plead for you to have the Spirit, but also plead for the Spirit to bring others into your life that you can share Jesus with. Again, I ask you the question, how much time each day that do you spend asking God to bring someone into your life that you can witness to? How much time do you spend? You know, some of us don't spend that much time because maybe we're nervous that God might answer that prayer, right? What happens if God answers that prayer? And what happens if He brings somebody in my life to witness to? And I don't know what to say. We're going to talk about that in the next session. How do I witness to people? So maybe we're nervous. And that's why we don't pray that prayer. That's a shame, wouldn't it be? Those three things we have to do in our daily life we want to receive the Spirit. We have to come first to the cross every day, right? We have to ask God to baptize us with the Spirit. We have to plead for the Spirit. We have to do Bible study. We have to pray. And when we do these things, I guarantee you, friends, if you will spend quality time, God will become more real to you than I'm standing up here in the front. Do you understand that? The more that I pray, I find that that when I'm weak in my, in my Christian experience, when I'm falling into temptation, when I'm experiencing all these problems in my life, I find that it's because I have not spent time in the presence of God. You have to do it, friends. You have to do it. And the most holy place, I'm going to slip past this for sake of time, but there's several things in the most holy place. There's the mercy seat. Jesus is interceding for me. There's Aaron's rod, there's the pot of gold manna, there's the Ten Commandments. God, write your law on my what? On your heart. And I always ask God, what is your will for me? But the most important thing I want you to see is this. Psalm 46.10, what does it say? Do you know? Be still and know that I am who? That I am God. What should you do as you're spending time with God? What should, a portion of the time you spend with God should be spent in what? and quietness. Be quiet 
and listen for His voice speaking to your heart, right? If you do that, friends, I guarantee you, there, you'll, have, you'll have a powerful experience with God and He will whisper into your heart things from His Word that He wants you to know. You remember what we said yesterday, many, even in their seasons of devotion, fail of receiving the blessing of real communion with God. They are in too great of what? They are in too great of haste. With hurried steps, they press through the circle of Christ's presence, pausing perhaps for a moment within the sacred precincts, but not waiting for counsel. Why is it that we're so weak? It's because we think we can get up in the morning, we can eat our oatmeal, flip our Bible open for two and a half minutes, and go off on our merry way and think that God is with us throughout the day. i got news for you, friends. You've got to spend quality time with God. If you're not spending time with Him, you can expect that you're not going to sense His presence with you throughout the day. Do you realize this? What does she say? She says, we need... Oh, let me back up here. At the bottom. She says, I'm going to jump right here. They must give themselves time to what? Think, to pray, and to wait upon God for a renewal of strength and power. Yes? What do we have to do? We have to give ourselves time to think, to pray, and to wait upon God. And when we do that, she says, we'll receive power. She says, not a pause for a moment in His presence, but personal contact with Christ to sit down in companionship with Him. This is our greatest need. It's not rocket science. Being baptized with the Holy Spirit, having the Holy Spirit in your life, being close to God is not rocket science, friends. It's just time and effort. Yes? All we've got to do is do it, and God will bless us. Now, I just want to tell you a story. We're going to close this session now. But I want you to see the seriousness and the urgency of what I'm saying. How do we have an experience with God that will not fade? Number one, through the eyes of the sanctuary. We come to the foot of the cross how often? Every day. We confess our sins. We seek Christ. We ask Him to forgive us. We have repentance. Secondly, we ask Him to baptize us with the what? With the Holy Spirit. Then in the holy place, there's the three articles of furniture. What do we have to do? Spend time in His what? Word. Spend time in prayer and seeking the Holy Spirit. Not just seeking the Holy Spirit, but asking God to bring people into our lives that we can share Jesus with. Uh, friends, let me tell you, there's nothing more rejuvenating than to see someone accept Christ knowing that you've played a part. If you want to have your spiritual experience rejuvenated, Lead some soul to Jesus. Lead some soul to Christ. And you will find that your spiritual life will be vibrant. Some of us are doing those two things. We're studying the Bible. We're praying. But we're scared to death to go out and witness to somebody. I'm going to show you how you can witness in very simple, practical ways here in just a few minutes. But friends, you've got to witness. If you want to have Christ's presence in your life, there are three articles in that holy place. Yes or no? Three articles. Three important parts of the Christian life and you will experience a vibrant relationship with Christ. I promise you, it is exciting to live for Jesus. Amen? Now, I'm going to tell you this story to give you a sense of urgency. There was a young man in Ukraine. He was a pastor's son. This just happened very, very recently, like, like a month ago. Month, yeah, a month ago. He's a pastor's son, and this young man left the church, and he became rebellious and angry and bitter because all of his friends, their fathers were wealthy businessmen and doctors and these different things. 
And they were giving all their kids apartments and cars and money to do this and that. And his dad was a pastor. You know, many times pastors' kids, they tend to have a tough experience growing up in the church. And it's harder for many times. My wife was a pastor's kid, and it's a difficult thing. And this young man went through all those pressures, and he decided he didn't want anything else to do with it. He became so angry, he began using drugs, he began drinking liquor, and he became violent. And he came to his father, and he said, all my friends, they're all receiving apartments and all this stuff because their parents are giving it to them. What are you going to give me? And his dad said, you know, son, I don't have anything. All I have is this little two-room apartment. And he said, I'm sorry, but I I just can't give you anything. He said, I'll tell you what. The son said to the dad, I'll tell you what. You're going to move out of this apartment by tomorrow. He said, and I'm going to take over this apartment. And he said, and if you don't do it, I'm going to kill you. That's what he told his dad. His dad said, son, he just took the servant role, and he said, son, I'm just going to honor your request, and we're going to move out. I don't know where we'll go, but me and your mother, we're going to move out. So the next day they moved out and the son moved in. He was partying, he was drinking, he was smoking, he was doing all this crazy stuff. And one night, he went out on the porch and he smoked a cigarette. And when he came back in, he sat down in his chair 3 o'clock in the morning. And this is a true story. It was confirmed. And, And I'm telling you, it's the truth. He saw the door of his apartment. It just began to shine very, very brightly very, very brightly, and it was so bright he couldn't even look at it. And he said he heard the door open, and then someone walked in, and the door closed. And when he looked up, he said what he thought was Jesus. He saw scars, but his face was shining so brightly he couldn't see the features. And he said, I believe his name was Vasily. He said, Vasily, he said, you know how much that I love you. He said, I'm doing everything that I can. I'm doing everything that I can to save you. He says, but why are you fighting against me? He said, if you knew how short time was, if you knew how quickly time was running out, he said, you would not be doing all these things. And he said, won't you turn back to me? He said, the time of judgment is almost finished and I'm about to come back to this earth and take my people home. And he said, oh, how I want you to be a part of that. Oh, I want you to be ready for me when I come. Won't you be ready? Won't you give your life back to me? That next Sabbath, that young, and, and then he disappeared. It just faded away and it was gone. That next Sabbath, that young man went back to the church, went back to the church, and he, and he came to his father and he fell to his knees and he was weeping, pleading and asking the father to forgive him for his foolish acts. In front of the whole church, he confessed his sins. He told that story, and he said, Brothers and sisters, time is running out. We have to be ready for Jesus. We have to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We have to know God and know Him intimately if we're going to be ready for Jesus when He comes. And brothers and sisters, my appeal to you today is that you would be ready for Jesus that you would spend time in His Word, that you would spend time on your knees, that you would spend time in His presence, and that God would do a work in you. My friends, I cannot tell you how much, with such urgency, time is running out. We're almost at the end of this world's history, and Jesus is going to come. And He's pleading with you, and He's pleading with me to be ready, to be waiting, 
and to be looking and hastening his soon return. Today I want to ask you, what are you doing with your lives? What are you doing with your lives? Some of you are doing great things for God. Other of you are just, you're just floating through life thinking like nothing is going to happen. Well, friends, the reality is <clears throat> that Jesus is coming soon. And God is pleading with you today to make a decision to surrender your life completely to Him here at GYC. Friends, don't throw your lives away. Don't throw your lives away. Don't waste the precious gift that God has given to you. But spend time with Him. Get to know Him. And I promise you, I guarantee you, that you will never, ever regret that decision. If you will, Jesus said, if you will, you will search for Me and you will find Me when you search for Me with all your heart. Are you searching for Jesus with all your heart today? Are you letting nothing else stand in your way? My appeal to you is just that. Don't let anything stand in the way of letting you spend that time with God that is vital in order for you to make it to heaven. How many of you today want to make that commitment to Jesus? You want to say, today, Lord, I'm going to make the commitment to You that I'm going to take the time, no matter how busy my schedule may be, I'm going to take the time to spend with You and I'm going to draw closer to You, not just at GYC, but forever. Friends, you have to do it one day at a time. One day at a time. And Jesus is waiting. He's waiting. He so desires to spend time with you. It's unbelievable how much God wants to spend time with us. The question is not whether God wants to be with us, but whether you want to be with Him. Whether you want to be with Him. I'm going to pray now, and I'm going to ask you to just pray in your own hearts and invite Jesus to, to, just, to just come in and just transform you. And in your own hearts, make that commitment to Christ that you will take the time every day to spend that time with Him. Father in Heaven today, Lord, time is running out. And Lord, we pray that Your Spirit would fall upon us now and that we would do what it takes to have more of Your Spirit, Lord. Lord, You want to give Your Spirit, but You have conditions, and we need to meet those conditions. Lord, I pray for every young person here that You would just move upon their hearts and we would see the urgency of the times that we're living in and the urgency and the need that we have of spending time with You. I pray, Lord, that You would just fill us. This is our earnest plea. Fill us with Your Spirit. Help us, Lord, live for You each day. And help us spend time in Your presence. This is our greatest need. And as we do that, Lord, we will become Your people. We will glorify You on this earth. And very, very soon, Lord, we will go home. This is our plea. This is our prayer. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to take our structured break now. Are you ready? Stand up and stretch. Stretch your hands to the sky. Wiggle your fingers. Do a jumping jack. Do like three or four or five jumping jacks. Don't hit the person next to you. Touch your toes. If you have to go, it's okay. But if you're going to stay, stay. Touch your toes. You're not standing up back there. Look to the person next to you and say, I'm happy that you're here. I'm happy that you're staying. Put your fingers up. Finger exercises. Ready? 
Fingers, you go down and in. Ready? One, two, three. One, two, three. One, we used to do this in football practice. One, two, three. My coach used to do it just as a joke, so I'm doing it to you as a joke. I'm not really thinking it's going to help you. Stretch out, and we're going to get started here in just one second. Don't leave. Please, do not leave. All right. Twist to the side, yes. We don't have... All right. Are you ready? Are you sure? All right. Hopefully those people that left will come back and others are coming in. Hopefully they just went to get a water or something. We're going to get started. Are you fresh? Are you alive? Are you sure? All right. Let's get started. We're just a little bit behind. Let's have prayer, okay? Father in heaven, we thank you so much for this time, this final session that we can have together. We ask your blessing to be with us. We ask you to draw near to our hearts and energize us, empower us for witnessing today. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. I want to tell you a story. When I was also in Ukraine, there was this young girl who came to my meetings, and she was telling me the story of how she got to the meetings. Uh, She grew up, was growing up in a home where her parents were very abusive. Her dad was abusive, her mother was verbally abusive, and she was 17 years old, and she was wondering to herself, is there anything, is there any purpose to life? I mean, she said, my parents don't care about me. I'm not a very good student. I have all these problems in life. And she began to wonder, does God even care about me? And she kept asking that question. She said, I don't think God cares about me. And one day she was walking down the street and she began to say to herself, God doesn't care about me. My parents don't care about me. No one else cares about me. Maybe I should just commit suicide. That's what she was thinking. And as she was walking, she said to herself, she said, God... She says, if you care about me, you're going to have to show me some kind of a sign. And and it can't just be some little thing. It's got to be a really, really big sign. And as she was praying that prayer, when she finished, she looked up, and there she saw a gigantic sign, a gigantic billboard, and it was advertising my Bible prophecy seminar. Amen? And that sign said, Revelation, or I'm sorry, the Word of God offers hope. Amen? And she saw that and she said she stood there and she just looked at it with her mouth open for like ten minutes, quiet. And she said, God, this must be the sign. She had prayed in her heart, God, if you care about me, you better show me something really quick or I'm going to commit suicide. When she prayed that prayer, she looked up and there it was. She came to our meetings Every single night. And she said, she, when, she said, when she saw the sign, she thought to herself, well, maybe that's not quite the sign. God, show me something else. God doesn't always do that, but sometimes He does, right? For those that are weak in the faith. She looked down on the ground, and there crumpled on the ground was a handbill that someone had wadded up and thrown away, and also an invitation to my meetings. She picked it up, she opened it up, and there it was. She came to the meetings every single night. We were doing double sessions because we had so many people, 4 o'clock and 7 o'clock, 
And she came to both sessions every single night. Amen? And at the end of those meetings, she gave her life to Jesus through baptism. How many of you are thankful for the miracles that God works in people's lives, right? I want you to notice this statement from Acts of the Apostles, page 109. Ellen White says, All over the world, where? All over the world, men and women are looking wistfully to heaven. Isn't that a miracle? All across the world, there are people who are thinking, does God care about me? Is heaven for real? Does God have a plan for my life? There's people all around the world that are thinking that. There's people here in Houston that tomorrow, or I'm sorry, today, this afternoon, you're going to go on outreach, right? You're going to go knocking on doors. There's people in Houston that are waiting for you or praying for you to come and knock on their door. Amen? How many of you are going on outreach today? You better go on outreach today because you don't want to miss that opportunity, right? People are wistfully looking towards heaven. She says, prayers and tears and inquiries go up from souls longing for light, for grace, for the Holy Spirit. Many are on the verge of the kingdom waiting only to be what? To be gathered in. Isn't that wonderful, friends? That's what we're told. Is it true today, yes or no? Is it true in the last days? Absolutely, it is true. Please turn with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. Open your Bibles. We want to be doers of the Word and not hearers only, right? Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Jesus said, we know this text, we've read it already in our seminar. Verse 8. Jesus said to the disciples, but you shall be, receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be what, everyone? What shall you be? Witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Many people say, well, I want to be a great missionary overseas. I want to go over and be a public evangelist and preach and win people by the thousands. Well, let me tell you something. Jesus said, before you go to the ends of the earth, where do you go? He said, to Jerusalem... And then Judea, which is the, the Jerusalem was the city, then Judea was the region, and then he said, go where? Into all the world. What's my point? The point is this. You can't go around the world until you learn how to go across the street. Right? You can't preach the gospel to thousands until you learn to share the gospel with one. Right? You can't go around the world until you learn how to go across the street. How can we practically witness to people? Now, when we think about witnessing, what happens? We freak out, right? <clears throat> when, you say, when you say, hey, go talk to that person about the Super Bowl last year. You say, oh man, I'll go talk to that person. You say, hey man, how about who went to the Super Bowl last year? I don't even remember. I'm glad that some of you don't know. So let's just say it's the Dallas Cowboys and the Green Bay Packers. You say, hey man, how about those Cowboys, right? Last year's Super Bowl champions, da-da-da-da-da. We can talk about the Super Bowl for hours. But you say, but the next day you say, Go talk to the same person about Jesus and what happens. That right there, right? We, we go crazy and we think, how in the world would I talk to that person about Jesus? How do I talk to them about Christ? Well, there are three main reasons why we don't talk to people about Jesus, why we don't witness. The first one is, we are afraid that we will say what? The wrong thing. How many of you are afraid of that? How many of you are afraid you might say the wrong thing, right? Everybody's afraid of that, Yes? Secondly, people are afraid the person will say what? No, what if they say no, right? I'm so afraid of that. The third reason that people don't witness is because they think it's a spiritual gift that they don't have. And have you ever heard somebody say, hey, let's go door to door, and the person says, oh, no, 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 I can't do that. It's not my spiritual gift. 
hey, why don't you give Bible studies? I'm going to teach a class on how to give Bible studies. Why don't you come to my class and learn how to give Bible studies? We'll go out together and share the Bible with other people. Oh, no, no. My spiritual gift is giving Bible studies, right? Have you heard people say that? Have you heard yourself say that? Three reasons. How many of you have given one of these three excuses for why you don't witness? Yeah? Yeah, exactly. I have two. Well, I'm about to nullify all three of those excuses, okay? The first one, people are afraid they're going to say the wrong thing, right? Well, let's just give you a scenario here for just a minute. Let's suppose you have ten people, ten people whom God impresses you to go witness to, yes? You go to, th- you go to those ten people, and, you, and three of those people, you share Jesus with them. They say, man, are you out of your mind? You're an idiot. Why would you believe in the Bible? It's a book of fairy tales. You're foolish. You're stupid. Get out of my face. And they kick you in the back. As you, and you go rolling down the stairs, front steps, right? Have you died? Are you still alive, yes or no? You're still alive, right? Is it the end of the world? No, it's not the end of the world. Then you go to four other people and they say, yeah, I'd like to know something about Jesus. Tell me about Jesus. And you start telling them and you say something really stupid, right? You say to a, the first Baptist senior pastor, yeah, the seventh day is the Sabbath, and you need to keep the Sabbath, and da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. And he kicks you down the stairs, and you go rolling down the stairs again, right? And you say something really dumb, and you blow it. How many of you have ever blown it before? You say something, you think I've ever blown it a few times? No, I haven't, actually. You know why? Because I've blown it a lot of times, right? Do we sometimes say the wrong thing, yes or no? Yeah, but, but... can God help us? Of course He can. But let's suppose, so how many people is that? That's seven. But let's suppose that the other three people I talk to say, yeah, tell me something about Jesus. So I tell them about Jesus, and they say, hey, I want to accept Christ in my life. And then you begin Bible studies with them. They say, hey, I want to be baptized. I want to follow Christ. He suffered for me. I want to give my life to Him. I want to keep the Sabbath. I want to you know, I want to join God's remnant church. And those three people get baptized because of what you've done for them. Amen? Now listen. You were, you were afraid to say something because you were afraid you would say what? The wrong thing. But you said something, and three people are in the kingdom of heaven because you said something. Yes? Now think about this. If you say something to ten people, and there's a chance you might say the wrong thing... Is it better to say something and maybe win some than to say nothing and lose all ten? Are you with me? If you don't say anything to those ten people, they're going to be lost, right? Because they don't have the opportunity to accept Jesus because you didn't give it to them, right? We're not afraid to say the wrong thing in business. We're not afraid to say the wrong thing in college. But when it comes to witnessing, we say, oh, I could never do that because I might say the wrong thing. Well, that's a bunch of baloney. It's the devil's lie, is it not? It's the devil's lie. So people say that they won't witness because they're afraid the person will say no. Well, did people ever say no to Jesus? Of course they did. Let me ask you, is it the end of the world if they say no to you? Not at all. Look, should you not witness for Jesus because you're afraid they're going to say no? It's kind of quiet in here. Are you convicted already? I wasn't even planning for you to be convicted yet. Are you convicted? Should we not witness for Jesus because we're afraid they'll say no? Not at all, friends. These three things are not real excuses. They are excuses, 
but they're not real reasons not to witness. Jesus said in Acts 26.16, But rise and stand on your feet, for I have appeared to you for what? For this purpose, to make you a minister and a witness both of the things which you have seen and the things which I will yet reveal to you. God has called you. Do you understand that? The Bible says you shall receive what? Power. If you spend time with Jesus, will God give you the power and the words for witnessing? Yes or no? Absolutely, He will. Absolutely. Matthew 28, 18-20. What is that? That's the great what? That's the great commission. And Jesus said, Go ye what? Therefore, into all nations, and make disciples, and baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things which I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you how often? Always, even to the end of the what? Even to the end of the age. Now let me explain something. Witnessing is a part of the Great Commission that Jesus gave how many people? All people. It is not a spiritual gift. You know, some people say, well, that's not my spiritual gift. It is not a spiritual gift that God has given to some, but it is a command that He has given to all. Can you say amen? So guess what, friends? If you're a true disciple of Jesus, God has called you to be a light for Him. Amen? He's not called you to sit in the church. He's not called you to say, well, my ministry is teaching Sabbath school. My ministry is working with kids. My ministry is organizing the potluck line. But God has called you to be a soul winner. Amen? God has called you to be a part of the Great Commission. If you claim the name of Jesus, you must witness for Him. Yes or no? That's what Jesus said. He said it right there. Now, very simply, the promise that the Spirit will be with us until the end of the age, why does He give that promise? It's only when we're fulfilling our part of the promise to go and make what? To go and make disciples. Does that make sense? Very, very clear, Jesus says. Let me tell you, everyone who has a relationship with Jesus is capable of leading someone else to who? Someone else to Jesus. Have you ever heard the term Nike? Right? You know Nike? And what is their little catchphrase? Just do it. Well, how about this? How about that? Witnessing. Just what? Just do it. Don't think about it. Don't get paranoid over it. Just what? Just do it. The most important thing to remember concerning witnessing is to what? Is to just do it. God will help you. Don't be sure that the person's going to say no because you never know when they're going to say what? You never know when they're going to say yes, right? Listen, evangelism brings meaning, purpose, and joy to our life. When we win others for Christ, when we seek others for Jesus, something begins to happen in our own life. How many of you have ever brought someone to Jesus and maybe they've joined the church? Anybody in the room? All right, several of you have. Is that not invigorating, yes or no? Jordan, is it invigorating? It's an incredible experience. Every time I see someone get into the baptismal tank, I think, praise God, I have a new neighbor in heaven, right? And I mean, I, I, cannot, I cannot put it into words to you, the joy that is there when you lead someone to Jesus. When you lead people to Jesus, it helps you see that you are a part of something in the kingdom of God that is much, much bigger than yourself. You see that? It's much, much bigger than yourself. When you start studying the Bible with people, it drives you to your knees so that God would give you more, more uh, understanding, more knowledge, more wisdom of the Bible. 
And when that person says, yes, I want to follow Jesus, I'm just telling you, it is so energizing, it is so exciting, it is so thrilling. Your professional, you may say, well, look, I'm not going to be a pastor, I'm not going to be an evangelist. It doesn't matter, friends. Your profession may be anything. You may be a doctor, you may be a lawyer, you may be a school janitor or a school bus driver. It doesn't matter who you are or what your profession is. Your profession is your profession, but your real calling in life is to be what? A soul winner. God is not giving us an option on this, friends. Young people, it's not an option. Do you realize this? It's not something God is asking you to do. It's something He's telling you to do. If you really want to follow Him, you will witness for Him. You will do something for Him. The ultimate challenge. How many of you like challenges? You like challenges? Notice what Ellen White says here. She says, Southern Watchman, January 5th, 1904. She says this, Let every Seventh-day Adventist ask himself, what can I do to proclaim the three angels' messages, the third angel's message? Isn't that beautiful? Ask yourself the question today, what can you do to do something, to make some kind of an impact on the kingdom of God? God is calling you to do something. You ask yourself the question. Rather yet, even better than asking yourself, ask God what you can do. Amen? If you ask God, God, what can I do for your kingdom? I can guarantee you with my life a thousand times that He's going to provide something for you to do. Amen? She says, Christ came to this world to give us this message, give the message to His servant, to give to the churches. It is proclaimed to every nation, kindred, tongue, and people. I want you to think about this, friends. Christ came to this earth and He gave His best for you and I. Did He yes or no? He didn't just give His best, but He gave His life. Right? When Christ gives His best, He calls for whose best? Our best. More specifically, your best. Right? Yes or no? And how shameful can it be that we would just give Jesus a bunch of what? A bunch of excuses. Some people say, well, you know, I want to witness, but I'm just, I just don't want to do it my own strength. Friends, listen. When it comes to some kind of worldly gain, when it comes to that promotion at our job at work, when it comes to getting that A on that test in college, when it comes to making more money, when it comes to getting that latest electronic gadget, that iPad or that iPhone or whatever it is you've got, when it comes to those things, we are willing to do how much? We are willing to do whatever it takes to get that stuff, yes or no? If I've got to get that A on that test tomorrow, I'll stay up all night if I have to to study, right? If you stay up all night to study for a test, when was the last time you stayed up to pray for your friends, for your family, all night long? We'll, do, we'll work overtime. We'll work overtime to make sure that I can have the money <clears throat> to buy that little thing that I want. When was the last time you worked overtime for free to help your coworker to witness them for Jesus? When was the last time you worked overtime so you could take that overtime money and plug it into an evangelistic series or buy some literature to pass out to your neighbors? You'll see, when, we, when it comes to things of the world, we're game, man. We're ready. We'll do whatever it takes to get that thing. But when it comes to sharing something eternal with someone else, oh no, I couldn't do that because I might say the wrong thing or, or you know, uh, I don't want to do it in my own strength. 
Jesus has given us everything we need to be witnesses for Him. He said He'll give us His Spirit. He said He'll give us the right words. He said He'll give us the right things to say and do to win souls for Him. But God's people are too busy pursuing the things of the world to care anything about the things that are eternal. Is it true? Yes or no? Don't answer, but answer in your heart. Is it true in your own life today? Has Jesus given you His best, but you're not giving Him your best? Has He given you His life, but you're giving Him an excuse today? Has He said, come, follow Me, and I'll make you a fisher of men? You say, no, no, Jesus, okay, I'm, I'm content to stay here. I'm content to do inreach, not outreach. Is it true for you today? Jesus gives us His best, and He expects no less from us. Wouldn't you agree with that? I think the time has come for God's people to not give Him any more excuses. How about you? Well, what can I personally do to reach people for Christ in the last days? What can I do? What can you do personally to make a difference for Jesus? I want to give you seven ways that you could be an effective witness for Christ. Are you ready for this? Yes or no? Seven ways, seven simple things that you can do to be a witness for Jesus. The first, these are very, very simple. You, some of them you probably already know. The first one is pray for a divine appointment. What's a divine appointment? A divine appointment is when God arranges your life and another person's life to meet at the same place at the same time under the same circumstances, and He opens up the right doors for you to be able to share with that person. Can I share something with you? Every single time, every single day that I pray God brings someone into my life that I can share you with today, that I can witness to, God honors that prayer he, I've kept track of it. I've kept track of it. I said, I'm going to test God. I'm going to see if He'll really do this. And I pray that prayer every day, and every single day He does it, friends. Just not long ago, I was on a plane trip going overseas to preach, a, preach a, an evangelistic series, and every time I get on the plane, I pray, well, not every time, because the times I don't, He doesn't, but the times I do, He does, right? I prayed this time, God, bring someone on the plane that I could witness to. So I went back to my seat, and this lady came and sat beside me, and I said, Lord, if this is the right lady, I pray that you'll open the door. And then, all of a sudden, that lady got up, and she left. And she swapped seats with some other woman. And I was thinking, oh man, how am I going to witness that lady now? And that this other woman came and sat down, and I said, Lord, maybe this is the person I need to witness to. So I started praying, Lord, open the door. So I looked over at this lady, and she was reading this book. And I said, hi, how are you doing? And she said, I'm doing fine. And she just looked, she moved the book a little closer to her face. And I was like, man, you know, and for, and for two hours, this was like a nine-hour flight, for two hours, she read this book, and I was like, Lord, this is just not working out. Maybe you're not honoring your promise. And I just kept praying and praying and praying. And after about two, two and a half hours, she closes the book and she looks over at me and she says, hi. And I'm thinking, wow. <laughs> Little did I know that I would talk to this lady for the next six hours. Six hours. And she just started chatting up a storm with me. And the more I talked, I began to probe very simply. You know, I, uh, she asked me, you know, I said, well, what are you doing on this trip? And she told me she was on a business trip and this and that, and we talked a little while. And she said, what are you doing here? And I said, oh, I'm so glad you asked that question, right? And uh, I looked at her and I said, well, I'm actually going, I'm, I'm actually a minister, I'm a pastor, and I'm going overseas 
to, to work with our Bible college there, and then I'm going to preach some Bible meetings for the public. And she says, wow, that sounds very interesting. I said, yeah. I said, do you go to church anywhere? Isn't that a great question to ask? Once I've opened up the spiritual, she says, well, yes, she says, but, but, but my faith is failing fast. When she said that, what did I know? My evangelistic antennas went up, right? I said, well, why do you say that? What's been happening? And she told me her husband is adamantly against the Bible and, and church and God. And she said her, her, hus- her son last year committed suicide. And she said her husband was telling her, Don't, why would you believe in God? If God was real, why would He allow this to happen? So I was able to then share my experience of going through cancer and almost dying and wondering why, and I explained the great controversy to her. And at the end of that trip, we were about to get off, and she looked at me, and I gave her, I actually mailed her a box of, a box of, of some stuff, some books and things when I got back home. I gave her some websites. And she looked at me and she said, you know, she said, my faith was at the verge of burning out. But because of this, she said, I believe God had brought us together this day. She said, my faith is encouraged. My faith is renewed. It's just, I'm going to church this next weekend. I said, praise God. Amen? And I hope, she go, hope eventually she reads the books and goes to the Adventist church, right? But uh, that was a divine appointment, friends. If you pray for those kind of appointments, I could tell you stories till the end of GYC of things God has done, miracles. And every time it happens, my faith is increased because I know that God is working. Amen? So pray for what? What are you going to pray for? Divine appointment. So will God do it? Yes or no? He'll do it. The second point is follow Christ's method alone for soul winning. What is Christ's method? Very simply. Uh, Ministry of Healing, page 143. Christ's method alone will give true success in reaching people. The Savior mingled with men as one who what? Desired their good. <clears throat> he showed what? Sympathy for them. He ministered to their needs. He won their confidence. And then He what? Bade them, come follow Me. You notice there was an order to the approach that Jesus took. He spent time with people. He showed sympathy. He mingled with them. He desired their good. He ministered to them. He talked to them. And that won their what? If you listen to someone's problems, you know that part of witnessing isn't even talking? Part of witnessing is just what? It's just listening. You just say, hey man, how's your day going? Terrible. What's wrong? Tell me about your day. I'd really like to know. And then just sit back and listen. Right? And they're going to tell you all their problems. They're going to say, you know what? I've had those similar problems. And you know, there was something that helped me. Do you mind if I share that with you? You can share a Bible text with them. You can offer to pray with them, right? Very, very easy, friends. Very, very easy to do. I wish I had more time to spend, but we're running out of time rapidly. So let me jump to this. Christian Service 116. Sympathize with them. Pray with them. Watch for opportunities to do them good. And as you can, gather a few together and open the Word of God to the darkened minds. Amen? Can God do it? Yes or no? If you will just follow Christ's method alone. Just win people's hearts. Visit them. Take them cookies. My wife and I, we take cookies and bread to our neighbors all the time. We give them books and tracts and we talk to them about Jesus. And many of those people, have they always come to us when they have problems, right? <clears throat> We've gotten Bible studies that way as well. Show God's love. And then when their confidence is won, share His Word with them. Notice this statement. Your success will not depend so much upon your knowledge and accomplishments as upon your ability to find your way where? People don't care how much you know till they know how much you care, right? 
The first step is to care for them. First step is to pray for them, right? Pray for divine appointments. And then show your love to them, right? Show your love to them. Number three, offer people prayer once you've gained their trust. You can, can you, how many of you can pray for somebody? Is that very difficult? Oh, about four of you can. How many of you can pray for people? All right, that's better. Now, how do we pray? Prayer will win hearts. Notice this statement. By visiting people, talking, praying, and sympathizing with them, you will win hearts. I can't tell you how many people, when I've actually gone door to door, were rude to me, nasty, terrible. And at the end of my time, I offered to have prayer with them. And then when I prayed with them, their face was shining. It was smiling. And I actually got Bible studies with people after they'd insulted me. Offer prayer for people. It'll change their hearts. One guy actually followed me down the street cursing at me. That's not going to happen to you this afternoon. I promise. Okay? Look for opportunities to pray with people when they're troubled, when they're sick, at the end of a pleasant visit. Ask permission. Always ask people, do you mind if we have prayer together? Right? And then very, the lastly, keep it very, very simple. Keep it simple. Don't go off on some tangent about the Sabbath in your prayer. Okay? Don't talk about the state of the dead in your prayer. Don't pray down on the person. Don't say, Lord, help this terrible heathen sinner to, con- con- to correct his ways and be converted before the fires of hell come upon him. Right? Don't do that. I have heard people pray those kind of prayers. And the person, we finished praying and the person was almost in tears. I mean, don't do that. Encourage them. Tell in the prayer, talk about the love of Christ and how He wants to help them and transform them and encourage them. Be simple, but yet uplifting. Be very, very careful. Number four, don't be a bonsai evangelist. What is a bonsai evangelist? Very simply, this cartoon, there's a guy here drinking beer and smoking and this guy comes over and this guy's thinking shallow thoughts and here's our good Adventist brother who comes up and says, hey, this guy looks like he needs a Bible track. And he sneaks up behind him and bonsai, right? And he jumps on the guy's back and he says, believe or die. And he says, take my track and believe. And he shoves it down the man's throat. And the man throws him off and he says, you must believe. And then when the man has finally gone, what is the thing he says? Well, at least I sowed some what? At least I sowed some seeds. How many of you have heard that phrase before? Right? How many of you have been bonsai evangelists? When I was in college, I would invite people over to my apartment to have lunch, fellow students. When I first became a Seventh-day Adventist, I didn't know anything about witnessing. All I knew was that I was doing it. I'd invite people over. I'd feed them like spaghetti or something. And then I'd, then I'd preach to them for like the next four and a half hours. I was a bonsai evangelist. The next day... They didn't want anything to do with me, right? I'd tell them the entire Seventh-day Adventist message in four hours. Literally. I'm not joking. And I wondered why I wasn't winning anyone to Jesus. I wondered why people just didn't think that was the most wonderful thing in the world, right? And uh, I realized that I was using the wrong methods. Then I went to AFCO. You guys should come to AFCO, all you bonsai evangelists. Come to AFCO and learn how to be the right thing. What can I share with people? I like to do what I've called the four C's. If somebody asks you, how many people have ever asked you, what does your church believe? Right? What is your, or what makes your church different than my church? Anybody ever been asked that question? There's four points that I like to share. The first, I call it the four C's. The first is what? Christ. We believe in Christ as the Son of who? As the Son of God. Yes? Then secondly, I would spend more time, but we've got to go. Secondly is Christ died 
for our sins on the what? Cross. Out of love for Jesus, I want to keep His what? Commandments. And then I, and then I give them an hour talk on the seventh-day Sabbath. Is that right? No, not at all. We keep the commandments, and we're looking for Jesus to come again. What are they? The four? Number one, Christ, cross, commandments, and coming again. Backwards. Coming again, commandments, cross, Christ. You got it. If they do that, that's a five-minute answer you can give to people. If they say, well, what about this or what about that? What do you believe about the Sabbath? You give them an answer. You know, I have a great set of Bible studies that answers that very question. I'd love to be able to share those Bible studies with you. Even if you can't give them the Bible study personally, just give it to them. Let them read it on their own. Okay? They have questions, you answer that. You come to AFCO, we'll teach you how to give Bible studies. Okay? But even if you can't do that, just give it to them. Okay? Just give it to them. Would you be willing to do them with me? Let's just do two or three together, and if you don't like it, we can quit. Right? It's not that hard. Seven to eight out of ten people will say, sure, I'll do Bible studies with you, if you've won their confidence, if they know who you are. Right? Very, very easy to do this. Number five, share your testimony. We're almost done. Share your testimony. Uh, what should I share? You know, I can tell you countless times that God has given me the opportunity to share my testimony with people. I shared with my testimony yesterday morning just very briefly. But every time I get a chance, that your personal testimony is one of the most powerful things that you can share with people. Did you know that? How Christ has changed your life, what He's done with you, because nobody can argue with that, can they? They can't argue with, with what Christ has done in your life. They can argue what you believe, but they can argue what God has done for you personally. Yes? So share your testimony. There's three parts to sharing your testimony. Number one, your life when? Before you met who? You met Jesus. Number two, how you accepted Christ. Not how you learned about the Sabbath. Not how you came into the Adventist church. But how you what? How you accepted Christ. Yes? Thirdly, your life since you have accepted Christ. What has Christ done for you in your life since you've accepted Him? That's very easy. How many of you think you could do that? Right? Very, very simple to do that. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to go through this because we don't have time, but come to AFCO. Actually, I'll tell you what. On Audioverse, there's another talk called Friendship Evangelism. I go into very much detail on how to share a testimony. Okay? So you can look on that. All right, and then, so sharing your testimony. It is incredible how, how many times I've shared my testimony with people. I tell them, man, I used to be an atheist, and I used to hate God, and I used to hate the Bible, but this is what happened to me. Some of you have grown up in the church all your life. How many of you fit that category? You've grown up in the church, and you say, man, most of you actually in this room, I don't really have a testimony. Well, the answer to that is simple. Yes, you do. Because it doesn't matter if you grew up inside or outside the church, you were on the same fast track to hell as I was as a heathen outside in the world. You realize that? Christ had to do something in your life to change you. You talk about that experience, and God will do something powerful when you share that with other people. Okay? Share your testimony. Number six, share glow tracks. Everywhere I go, I take glow tracks. When I'm on the plane, I leave one on the seat when I leave. When I'm in the bathroom, I leave one on the toilet when I'm finished. That didn't sound good, did it? Um, <clears throat> when I'm at the restaurant, 
You know, I put a glow track in, in my checkbook or in my receipt book when I check out. And if I, you know, when you run your card, and if I don't have a glow track, I'll write a website down on the receipt so when the waitress sees it, they see the website, right? Take these glow tracks and get them out like crazy. Amen? I mean, you, this just doesn't take that much effort. Just keep them in your purse. Keep them in your wallet, in your pocket. And just drop them everywhere you go. There's been times I've walked down the street, and I don't do this all the time, but I'll just take one, I'll just throw it down on the ground and let it lay there. And somebody will come find it, right? You hear stories about that. Although I found one on the ground, and it was like glowing, and it was calling my name, yes? And I just hope that when I get to heaven, somebody's going to say, man, you were walking around throwing those glow tracks on the ground, and I found one, and I accepted Jesus, right? Everywhere you go, you can do it. Look, I wear, I have this shirt that I wear. You can probably, I think you can buy these here. These are done by Little Light Ministries. Everybody see this shirt? It has a picture of Bible prophecy on it. It has the lion, the bear, the leopard, and the dragon. And then it has the little horn down here, right? And people, I wear this shirt in public. Man, I'm telling you. And people come up to me all the time and they say, man, what is that? That's really cool. Look at that lion and that bear. They say, what is all that stuff? And I, and I give them a little Bible study, very brief Bible study on Daniel chapter 7. Then they say, the little horn, there's a question mark. Who is that? And I say, well, if you really want to know, you have to do Bible studies with me. Right? And I've gotten Bible studies that way. actually have done this. And, and, and you know, if you're, if, you're, if you're local and you can actually do a Bible study with that person then you do it. But if you're like at GYC and someone sees you with this shirt and you live in Seattle, it's not going to work, right? But when they do that, you say, here's a website you can go to. They have free Bible studies that will explain everything for you, right? I'm telling you, I am not joking. This little gray faded shirt has brought dozens of people to me and asking me, what is that all about? And I've been able to witness and give out books. Very, very powerful stuff, friends. Very, very powerful. Let me slide past this. I'm gonna, I was going to tell you a story, but I won't because we've got to go. Number seven, have a small group Bible study in your home. Invite people from your community. Invite people from your church to your home. My wife and I did this for a year. We've done it several times, but in one place in Kansas, we did this for a year. And our goal was to have one non-Christian, one non-Adventist every single week. And that's what we prayed for. And oftentimes, we'd have, sometimes we only had one. But oftentimes we'd have two, three, four, five, seven, up to seven people who were not Christians, not Adventists. There's Bible studies you can do. Uh, the book you received here at GYC, you can take that book, Ten Days in the Upper Room. That's ten weeks of Bible study right there, one day a week. And invite people to come to your small group Bible study. People are willing to come because they're hungry for friends. Do you realize this? On your college campuses, people are hungry for friends. And they may not know anything about the Bible, but they'll come just because they want to know somebody. They want to, they want to be friends with people. And you invite them, and they keep coming back. You have a little food you know, for 30, 40 minutes. You talk, and then you do the little Bible study for 30, 45 minutes, hour and a half. And then you part and say, hey, we're going to do the same thing again next week. And people will begin to grow. It's very, very powerful, friends, what you can do. Some other quick ideas. Final events. I go around and I, I take a final events DVD or a Cosmic Conflict DVD and I say to people, I say, hey, you know, I, I found this DVD recently and I, and I watched it 
And I thought it was pretty good, but why don't you check it out and tell me what you think? Just be nonchalant about it, right? You don't have to... You don't have to say, hey man, this is going to save your life. This is going to do... Just say, hey, I watched this and it was pretty good. Maybe you want to check it out. And people will go home and they'll watch it. Say, tell me what you think about it when you're done. When they come back and say, hey, did you watch that? Yeah, I watched it. What would you think? This and that and that and this. You say, well, hey, did it sound interesting? Yeah, it was interesting. Why don't we do some Bible studies together, right? It's very easy to do, friends. Not hard at all. A visitor's Sabbath. You have this Sabbath where you prepare all... The church, you have a good sermon for visitors. You have nice gifts for visitors. You have a nice lunch, not with special K-loaf. Eat it before it eats you, right? Do something that, do something, you know, you have this Adventist surprise that people eat all the time, and you never know what that stuff is, but you just eat it and smile, and, and it, sometimes it tastes good, and sometimes it tastes like the bottomless pit or something, Right? And, uh, but you have something that's common to people like spaghetti or lasagna, something vegetarian, but something that people can relate to. You have a nice activity plan. And then you have all the people in the church invite their friends. It's easy to invite people to church. You just say, hey man, come to church with me this week. I really want you to come. I need somebody to go with me. Just come with me because I want to have some company. I don't want to go by myself. People will come for you, with you just for that reason, right? You get them to church, they have a great time and say, hey... You call them up on Wednesday and say, hey, i got to go to church again this weekend. i got this thing I have to do. I have to take up the offering or whatever. Come with me to church again. I don't want to go by myself. And before you know it, they're coming to church all the time, right? How easy is that? How many of you can do it? I don't even know most of you, and I know you can do it, right? Very, very simple. Free instrument lessons. Offer free instrument lessons to people. Put an ad in the newspaper and invite people to come and take free instrument lessons if you know how to play something and build relationships with them. Um, I'm going to slip past some of this. I want to jump to the end. Actually, the last one, I wanted to say that. Work surveys. Work surveys. Very simple. On Sabbath afternoon, go around to the people around the church and, and knock on the door and say, hey, we're with a local church youth group and our youth want to get involved in the community. If you had three things around your house that you haven't had a chance to do, maybe mow your grass or pick up some, some sticks or rocks or cut your weeds or whatever, if you had three things you'd like somebody to do, what would those be? Then take your group and go back the next day on Sunday and do that work for those people, right? And say, can we come back next week and do something else for you? And build a relationship with those people. And before you know it, it will turn to spiritual things. Amen? How many of you think you could do that? Are these easy things to do? Easy things you can do to be a witness for Jesus. I want you to turn with me to Acts chapter 4 real quickly. We're going to wrap up. We're going to wrap up here. Then we're going to have some time, a couple of minutes for questions, and then a couple of minutes for prayer. Acts chapter 4, Acts chapter 4, and verse 29 through 31. What is it that we need? What is it that we desperately need? Acts 29, verse 30... I'm sorry, Acts 4... Verse 29 through 31. The Bible says, this is the prayer of the disciples. They said, now Lord, this needs to be our prayer. Now Lord, look on their threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word by stretching out your hand to heal that the signs and wonders may be done through your name. And when they had prayed, the place that they were assembled together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit 
And they spoke the Word of God with what? What kind of boldness? Holy Spirit boldness. Amen? What if you, GYC attendees, what if here in five minutes we knelt together and we prayed, which we're going to do. You're not going to leave. You're going to stay and pray, right? I have you here until 12 o'clock. That's what they said. That's what the book says. You've got to stay here. We're going to pray. What happens if we prayed and this room began to shake and we prayed, God, fill us with Your Spirit and fill us with boldness? Or what happens if we're in the auditorium? Thousands of people praying together before outreach and God sends His Holy Spirit and we could go out and speak the Word with boldness. How many of you would be interested in having that kind of an experience? Amen? I want to have that kind of experience. Where does power for witnessing truly come from, though? Look with me in Acts 4, verse 13. It said, When they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled. And they realized that they had been with who? With Jesus. Why did I share these two talks with you back to back? Because true power for witnessing doesn't come from within, it comes from above. True power from witnessing doesn't come from what I can do, but what God can do. Amen? And God wants to use you today. What if when people saw you, you know when people look at you for the first time, you know many times we judge people by their outward appearance, right? We look at this guy and he's wearing some suit and we say, man, that guy's probably got money, right? Or we look at somebody that's dressed real raggedy and we say, man, I don't want to get too close to that person. They probably stink and they probably have lice and all these other problems, right? We judge people. But what if when people looked at you, they said, man, that person has been with Jesus. Lisa Marie, I can just tell by the look on her face that she's been with Jesus. Do you think, were people drawn to Jesus in his life, yes or no? Did people come to him? If we would spend time with Jesus, would people not be drawn to us? If Jesus was abiding in our hearts and He was doing a powerful transformation every single day of our lives, friends, we wouldn't even have to go ye therefore. People would be drawn to us. Wouldn't you agree? If you spend time with Jesus, He'll change your life. And when He changes your life, He's going to empower you to be a witness for Him through the power of His Spirit. Amen? He's going to do it, friends. And what will be the result? Verse 14. These are the critics. These are the Pharisees. And seeing the man who had been healed standing with them, they could say what? Nothing against it. Do you know, GYC, do you know What will shut the mouth of the critic and the skeptic more than anything? That in the last days, in this generation, in this hour, that God's people around the world would step up and would live unreservedly, totally, radically committed to serving Jesus. Did you know that? Today, the Christian world as a whole is pretty much the laughing stock of the world. People make fun of Christians today and they say, what a bunch of hypocrites. But if God's people would make a complete surrender to Him and would unreservedly say, God, fill me with Your Spirit. Fill me with something from above. Fill me with Your presence. 
and let me live out my life. Jesus, come through the power of the Spirit and live out your life in me. If we would pray that prayer, what could God do with you, GYC? He could turn the world upside down and the mouth of the skeptic would be closed. God would work miracles through your life and as the people who were scoffing stand by, they will look and they will be able to say nothing about it. How many of you want to have that kind of experience today, friends? How many of you want Jesus to fill you with His Spirit as you spend time with Him? How many of you want people to look at you and say, man, there is somebody that truly knows God There is somebody whom Jesus has truly changed. There is somebody who truly knows what it means to live a godly life. There is somebody who has spent time with Jesus Christ. And I know that I can trust that person. How many of you want to have that experience today? Would you raise your hands? Jesus wants us to have that experience. Who is being called today, friends? You are being called. Not the person beside you, not the person in front of you, but the person who is you. Amen? I'm going to close with a story, and then we're going to pray. There, when I was an AFCO student a number of years ago, some of you may have heard the story, some of my former graduates. When I was an AFCO student, <clears throat> we were in Denver, Colorado, and it was cold, and there was feet, not inches, but feet of snow on the ground. It was very, very cold. And it was in the wintertime. It was in early January, February. So it was getting dark at like 4.30, you know. And my part, outreach partner and I, we're out knocking on doors. We're out knocking on doors. And it was like 5, no, I'm sorry, it was like 7, 7.30. It was almost time to quit. And I was cold. I was tired. I was hungry. And all I wanted to do was go home, right? You ever had that experience before? And my, my partner and I, we had this tradition every week when we would finish with outreach, there was a Thai restaurant down the street. And we would go to that Thai restaurant we would eat pad Thai noodles with tofu and vegetables. Doesn't that sound wonderful about this hour of the day? We're ready for lunch, aren't we? And so every week we would go to that. And, and, and as it got time to end our outreach, my thoughts turned to the pad Thai and the tofu, right? And that steaming, those steaming noodles... And all, the, I could even smell it. I could taste it. And all during the day, I was knocking on doors, and it seemed like every single day, or I'm sorry, every single home, I would talk to people, and they would just slam the door in my face. That's not going to happen to you today, okay? Some days it happens, not very often, but this is one of those days. In every single house, they slammed the door in my face. And I was getting so discouraged. And it was dark. It was cold. I was wet from the snow. I was hungry. And I was thinking, man, I just want to go and eat my pad thai. And I had three houses left on that street. And we were going to... We were going <clears> to... <throat> but it was time to quit. It was 7.30. It was time to go home. So I felt like God impressing me to finish that street. And I said, God, I don't want to finish the street. I don't want to go eat my noodles. And God just kept impressing my heart. Finish the street, finish the street, finish the street. And the conviction grew stronger. And I knew it was from God. And so I knocked on, I said, okay, Lord, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it. <clears throat> I had already put my stuff in the car. I went back to the car and got my stuff back out. I knocked on the first door. There was a man at the door. 
And I start to go through my canvas. Hi, my name is Wes. I'm from Amazing Facts and television radio program and da-da-da-da-da. And he looks at me like this. And he looks outside. And he looks at me and he said, Man, do you see that it's dark? And I said, Yes. He said, Do you see that it's, there's three foot of snow on the ground? I said, Yes. He said, Are you out of your mind? What are you doing at my door? Go home. That's what he said. And he slammed the door in my face. And I was like, oh. I said, you know, go home. That's exactly what I'd like to do. Right after I go to the Pad Thai store. I went to the next house. <clears throat> there, was a woman stand, there was a woman that answered the door. I start to go through my canvas. I'm looking at her, and she's looking at me. And she's just looking at me like this. Same look the man gave me. And she actually didn't say anything. She just looked at me, and she went, boom, and closed the door in my face. I'm thinking, Lord, what am I going to do? I mean, I'm just, list, let me go home. And the Lord said, finish the street. And I went to the one last door, and I knocked on that door, and a woman answered the, answered the door, and I went through my canvas, and I said, would you be willing to take the survey? And she said, sure, come on in. And I was like, whoa, that hadn't happened all day. And I went in the house, and she said, here, have a seat. And I sat down, I went through the questions, and at the end of the survey, she answered yes and no to some of the other questions. At the end of the survey, we invited people to take Bible studies. And I said, we have a free set of Bible studies. Would you be interested? And she was quiet. And I thought, man, I've just like offended this woman. You know, she's upset and all this. And she sat there quiet for like almost two minutes. And I looked at her and I said, ma'am, are you okay? Or is anything wrong? And she burst into tears. And I was thinking, man, I've really done it now, right? And I said, ma'am, I'm really sorry. I'm really sorry. And she says, no, no, no. She says, you don't understand. She says, you are an answer to my prayer. She said, three months, she said, when I was growing up as a young girl, she said, my dad claimed to be a Christian, but he was really a hypocrite. And he did all this bad stuff to us and all these things. And she said, I grew up believing that God wasn't even real. And she said, three months ago, I, my life has been so bad. I've had health problems and all these a divorce and all these problems. She said, I told God, God, if you're real, you better reveal yourself to me in a clear way. And if you don't do that within three months, I'm going to commit suicide. And she said, and every day I told that to God, God, you better send someone to my house or something to show me that you're real and that you care. And she said, today is the last day of those three months. And she said, I've been praying that prayer for three months, and today is the last day. And I burst into tears. And, I, and my heart just sunk, and I said, God, forgive me. What if I would have followed my own selfish nature, and I would have just left and said, oh, I'll finish that street tomorrow. Tomorrow would have been too late. Isn't it true? Tomorrow would have been too late. And that lady would have lost out. We began Bible studies. That woman accepted Christ. Amen? She accepted Jesus into her life through our Bible studies. Listen, friends, all around you, here at GYC this afternoon, when you get back home, wherever it is that you live, there are people, as we said in the beginning, that are wistfully looking to heaven. Yes or no? They're everywhere. They're everywhere. You pass them on the street every day. And if we will pray, God will bring them into our paths. 
But remember that tomorrow may be too late. If God impresses you today to witness for Him to that person, you need to do it when? Today. Don't delay, friends. Follow the voice of Jesus. Allow Him to transform your life and then allow Him to use you to transform the world. To transform your world. Amen? You remember the story in Acts. They prayed and they received boldness. They received power from heaven. And God used it to change the world. He can do and He will do the same thing today if we will submit ourselves to His will and ask for it to be done. How many of you over the course of the weekend want to say, Jesus, do the work in me and then use me to do the work in the world? Is that your desire today? Let's have prayer together. And then after we pray, we'll take a couple of minutes to answer some questions And then I want us to pray together in groups of two. Can we do that one more time today? We have to do it because that's what they said we have to do. So let's pray together and ask God to bless us. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for this time that we've had together. And Lord, there's nothing more in the world that you want to do than to change us through the power of the Holy Spirit, through Jesus, and then change the world around us through us. You want to do a work in us, and then it will work through us. So Lord, we ask today that Your Spirit would just impress upon our hearts what to say and when to say it, Lord. In every opportunity we have, we will indeed be a light for You. This is our desire, Lord. We pray that You would do the work in us, and Lord, that You would use us to do something powerful for Your kingdom. We ask these things, and we pray for them. In the name of Jesus, Amen. We have a couple of minutes left. If there is somebody that has a question, um, anybody that has a question about this presentation, about any other presentations that we've done, yes, brother, please. Yes, for what? Yes, there's one called BibleProphecy.com, I believe it is, it's by Amazing Facts. There's also BibleUniverse.com as well. It covers more things, yes, but it does cover prophecy. But there is one. It's called BibleProphecyTruth.com. BibleProphecyTruth.com. That's what it's called. Okay? Okay. Great question. Anyone else? You guys are just ready to go to lunch, aren't you? I am too. How can you get the sanctuary PowerPoints? If... You have a thumb drive. I will stay here as long as I need to. Bring it to me, form a little line here, and I'll give it to you. Okay, I'll give you whatever you want, anything I've covered this weekend, okay? All right, any other questions? Yes. The CARS. It stands for Christians, um, Christian Automobile Repair Service. Sacramento Central does it one time a month. They have a free oil change for single mothers and all these, and people line up like crazy and they give them literature as they go through and they change their oil and they give them, they fill their fluids and check their tires and all that. They don't like swap out engines, but they'll, they'll do something simple, okay? So that's an idea you can do in your church. Start advertising in the community. Yes. Yes, let me give you my email, okay? I'll put my email... 
right here. Does anyone else have a question while I'm doing this? Anyone else have a question? Anybody? You can get those just about anywhere. Um, what's the website for those? They have a booth. You can buy them here. But I think there's it's um, glow.com or something. Just type, just Google Glow Tracks, and you can buy them from the ABC. You can buy them here. You can buy them online. You can buy them just about anywhere. Okay, this is my email. I'm not going to give you my Amazing Facts email because I'm leaving Amazing Facts. I'm going to be a pastor in the Michigan Conference. Very excited about that. And uh, thank you. Any other questions? Going once. Going twice. All right. Let's take a few minutes. Can we, please? Can we do it? It's so important. Let's take a few minutes. Kneel together. Find one other person that you don't know. And let's just spend a few minutes in prayer together, asking God to fill us with His Holy Spirit. Can we do that? All right. Gather together and uh, just ask God to bless us, to pour out His Spirit, that He would do something magnificent. This message was recorded by Fountain View Productions for GYC. GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, seeks to inspire and equip young people to be vibrant, Bible-based, and Christ-centered Christians. To download or purchase other resources, visit us online at gycweb.org.